Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you we wanted to do something real quick today as we get ready to to just continue on with uh with our time here together um we're gonna we're gonna close up at the end and do announcements at the end so just stick around don't don't rush and run right out of here just just stay with us here as we want to give you guys some information but this month we want to do something that's titled a word from our fam and what we want to do is we want to give the platform and the ability for others in their gifts to come and share a word and i said this to certain individuals i said as you come up i want you to search the lord search his word and what is a word that god has given you for this time for this church and i believe that throughout this month i'm going to be preaching as well um i believe that throughout this month it's going to be just a powerful time just to hear from different voices of what god is speaking to their heart um for our church and for the time that we're in so i think today you're going to be blessed and honored um one of our hub leaders who we've been blessed as he's if you've been to our hubs and you've sat under him at, when he ran a hub we were, you were definitely blessed um by his gift and and the lord using him and today we have the um honor and the ability to just do that on a sunday as we gather so um for the first time here at our nest we want to just give thanks uh, to the lord as he's growing and is and, and he's, he's moving in the gifts of this young man and we're just thankful that he said yes to this and we're going to welcome Alex Rizzle as he opens up amen amen as he opens up word from the fam amen we love you man good morning us fam how many of you are excited to be in the house of the lord today second just to get situated here i am definitely excited to be here and uh you know to be kicking off this new series titled word from the fam and when pastor regal called my number i started getting nervous and i started sweating in fact i'm burning up right now so i want to ask a question is it hot in here or is it just me <laughs> how many people are hot raise your hand how many people are cold raise your hand how many people don't have arms? Gotcha. <laughs> so, uh, definitely excited about this message. And uh, before we get in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray that you speak to us today through your word. Open up our understanding so we're able to receive what you have for us, Lord. Use me as your mouthpiece, Lord, to bless your people and glorify your name. And thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. So I actually was doing an exercise in peer pressure because today was, or, or that's the subject of today's message. And uh, I remember one of my most memorable childhood experiences deals with peer pressure. It was circa 1995 and I was playing basketball at the local park with my friend Ryan. You know, some of you already know this story. And um, so and after we're done playing, you know, we're just resting there on the court. And he says, bro, I know where we can get free donuts. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, for real, bro. I know where we can get free donuts. And I was like, come on, don't mess with me. You know, I like donuts. He's like, yeah, bro, that's what I'm telling you. I know where we can get free donuts. He's like, okay, bro, where can we get free donuts? Uh, just two blocks that way. Wait, which way? Like, yeah, just two blocks that way. It's like, bro, but you know, my mom won't let me go over there. She said not to go past the school. It's like, come on, bro. Your mom's not going to know. It's the middle of the day. We live in a residential area. We're not even going to take any of the back streets. We don't even live in the ghetto. Come on, bro. It's right there. It's like, okay, okay. So he convinced me to go. So we're here on our bikes, you know, just pedaling. <laughs> we finally got to the donut shop. And sure enough, it was like an all-you-can-eat donut buffet. They had glazed donuts. They had chocolate donuts. They had French curlers. It's crazy how just changing the texture of the donut like totally changes the experience of eating a donut. You know, They had Boston cream. They had Bavarian cream. They had jelly-filled. They had muffins. They even had the little donut holes. All-you-can-eat donut buffet. So then, you know, him and I, we grab as many boxes as we can, and then we start, you know, pedaling back. 
And then I get home, and this overwhelming sense of pride just raises up in me. Like, hey, I'm making a significant contribution to this household. My mom is going to be so proud of me. I'm becoming a man. Wait till mom gets home. So sure enough, a few hours later, my mom gets home, and I'm excited. I run up to her, and I'm like, Mom, look, I brought donuts. And she's like, Muchacho, ¿dónde sacaste la jona esa? And I was like, well, right now I went to the park, and then we got hungry, and then, you know, we, we, we found the donut shop, and then we came back, and we brought the donuts, and then we arrived, and, and I was excited, and I showed them to you. She's like, and in typical his, Hispanic mom fashion, she responds with the following of, ¿Qué, qué? Yo te dije que no fuera para allá, que la calle está muy mala. Vete para el cuarto, estás castigado, y no vas a comer más dona para que sepa. I might have added that last part for dramatic effect, but <laughs> sure enough, that was my mom's response. But hey, I love my mom, you know, even though many of her interactions were over-the-top dramatic, and I have a theory as to why, and I'll touch on that later, but she definitely instilled the fear of God in me at an early age, and I am the man I am today because of her. So thank you, mom. I love you. So fast forward to next weekend, and I was at my dad's house. My parents were divorced, so we were alternate weekends, my sister and I. And, you know, I'm rolling around in the, in the Toyota minivan with my dad. You know, we kind of have this Miami Vice vibe going. And I look over to him, and he kind of has this, like, dark-skinned Cuban, Hispanic Ned Flanders look to him, you know? If you can imagine that. <laughs> and I, I look over to him, and I'm like, papito, because that's what I call him. Yo sé dónde podemos conseguir donas gratis. And then, in typical Hispanic dad fashion, he's like, ¿Qué, qué? And at that very moment, that man did the fastest U-turn I had ever seen in a minivan. I didn't even know that those Toyota minivans had that tight of a turning radius until that day. So sure enough, we got to the donut shop. You know, back up the van, pop open the lift gate, start loading up the boxes, stacks on stacks on stacks on stacks of donuts. And he's like, wow, esto está bueno. Que bendición. And then all of a sudden, I hear this noise, like a door unlocking, like. And he's like, vamos aquí, que nos van a coger. And then this old Cuban guy just comes out of the door, and he's like, no esperes, llévense más, take more. So I was like, wow, what a blessing. So the reason I share this is because. Even though my experience with peer pressure has a favorable outcome, we could say, I know that many people's experience with peer pressure might not be so. In fact, it could be outright negative. Maybe you're the person who abstains from drinking when going out with friends because of the disastrous experiences and effects that alcoholism has had on your family. Maybe you're the person who feels pressure to try drug, drugs at a social event, but when they, get, when they get offered to you, you feel triggered because your best friend died from an overdose last year. Maybe you met a cute guy at a party. You really hit it off. One thing led to another. You guys got intimate. Now you're pregnant. You've decided to keep the baby, but he's forcing you to get an abortion. Maybe you're the only Christian in your workplace who feels pressured to compromise your integrity by making a killing over here and cutting corners. Or maybe, just maybe, and this is probably one of the most controversial the examples that I'm going to give because it's a hot-button issue at the moment. Maybe you're the faithful employee who's been working at your job for 26 years, day in, day out, and then all of a sudden you receive this memo and it says, any employee who remains unvaccinated by so-and-so date will be terminated. What do we do then? What do we do then? Well, God must have known that we would struggle with something like this, and that's why I believe that he's given us several examples to learn from. And I could think of three examples just off the top of my head. And the first one is Lot and his family. And we know when Lot was trying to escape Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, and, and fleeing. And then his wife looks back and she turns into a pillar of pink Himalayan salt. Now, I'm wondering, would that make Lot a player from the Himalaya? 
Probably not because the Himalayas are far from Sodom and Gomorrah. So yeah, <laughs> that definitely wouldn't work. But that's not the part of the story that gets me. The part of the story that gets me is when Lot's oldest daughter pressures the younger daughter to get the dad drunk to go on a really strange family camping trip, if you know what I mean. And if you don't know what I mean, then you need to ask someone after service. <laughs> then the next example that I could think of is of Job and his friends and his wife, too. So, you know, Job was kind of going through his suffering period. And then his friends came from afar to, to comfort him. And it's crazy to think that the book of Job dedicates 20 plus chapters to the friend's rhetoric. You know, and at one point, Job just gets tired and says, enough. You guys are horrible comforters, all of you. But that's not the part of the story that gets me. The part of the story that gets me is that Job's friends were trying to pressure him into saying like, hey, you're suffering because you've sinned. So this is your doing. And Job's like, no, I'm innocent. But there's another part of the story that gets me, and that's his wife. And his wife just basically says, like, you're pathetic. Look at you. Why don't you just curse God and die? But, you know, growing up in a Hispanic household where my mom watched approximately 15-plus hours of novelas a week definitely affected the way I read this verse. Because I read it somewhere more along the lines of like, Mírate. Estás hecho un desastre. Qué asco. Me arrepiento en el día que me casé contigo. ¿Por qué no maldices a Dios? Y muérete. That's definitely how I read that verse. <laughs> But the third and final example I have today is of Daniel and his three friends. And the reason I gave two exa three examples is because the first two were the road trip, and the last one is the destination. So I want you to grab your tents, grab your sleeping bags, and get your s'mores ready, because this is where we're going to camp out today. So you turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Now, I love the book of Daniel. It deals with prophecy, one of my favorite areas of Bible study. In fact, many consider the book of Daniel to be the prequel to the book of Revelation. And also, many of the elements that we're going to read about today actually have symbolic parallels to that of the Great Tribulation period in the book of Revelation. But as much as I would love to talk about that, I actually don't have time to get into that today. So we can meet outside, we can go to lunch, and we can discuss that later. Now, let me give you a little bit of context just so you know what's going on here. So Daniel and his three friends were taken captive by the Babylonian Empire, and they were put into training. And his three friends were named Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Now, maybe you're asking yourself, wait a minute, didn't they have different names? I was like, yes, they were more commonly known by their Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, you know, these names always sounded kind of funny to me especially the third one, and I'm wondering if it ever got abbreviated to just Nego, which would be pretty convenient if he had like some kind of sleeping disorder like insomnia, where the guards would constantly tell him like, hey, go find the bed, Nego. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But anyways, so let's get, uh, so in the time between chapter two and chapter three, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And none of the wise guys, I mean wise men in his kingdom, could interpret the dream. But then Daniel says, hey, let me take a crack at it. And then he interprets the dream. Nebuchadnezzar is impressed, and he promotes him to a high position in the kingdom. And that's where we are in chapter 3. So let's read at verse 1. And it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, for those of you who are fans of where in the world is Carmen Sandiego, this would be located in present-day Iraq. Now, to give you a little bit further context, I want to describe what this dream was all about. And the AV team is going to put up a visual aid here in a moment uh, of a statue. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue, and the statue was comprised of different metals. 
different portions of the statue of different metals. So the head was made of entirely of gold and it represented the Babylonian kingdom led by Nebuchadnezzar. Then the chest and the arms were made out of silver and it represented the metal Persian empire, which was going to overthrow the Babylonian empire. Then the abdomen was made out of brass or bronze and it represented the Greek empire led by Alexander the Great. The legs were made out of iron and it represented the Roman Empire, the ancient Roman Empire. And then lastly, the feet were made out of a mixture of clay and iron, and that represents the future Roman Empire that's restored. So, in the time between chapter 2 and chapter 3, there's speculation that King Nebuchadnezzar was so anxious that he wanted to do something to contradict this dream that he had. So what he did was he erected a gold statue made entirely of gold. So in his mind, it's like, this is going to symbolically represent that my kingdom will endure forever. But God had other plans. Let's keep reading. Verse 2, it says, Then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials or government officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, also, you could also consider him the speaker of the house, nations and people of every language, This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. I'm sure at that time, everyone present there started murmuring. It's like, hey, is it hot in here or is it just me? It's like, hey, bro, are you going to, you know, and, and then like peer pressure starts setting in. And it's like, hey, bro, are you going to, are you, are you going to worship? I mean, you're going to bow down. It's like, what about you, bro? Are you going to bow down? It's like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, I usually have knee pains and I left my knee pads at home, but I'd rather have knee pains than be crispy, crispy cream in the oven. It's like, so I, I, th- I think I'm going to bow down. So verse 7, it says, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers, I'm wondering how many of these astrologers were descendants of Guatemala. They came forward and denounced the Jews. In other words, they were whistleblowers. Like, hey, look, look what he's doing. Look what these guys are doing. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. You know, after reading that several times, I wonder, it's like, man, there has to be an easier way to say that. (laughs) But uh, I lost my place. All right. Pipe and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews here whom you have set up over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Verse 13, it says, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I can imagine what King Nebuchadnezzar kind of looked like, you know, imagine this like larger than life, pompous, arrogant type character, full of pride with his regal attire and his Babylonian eye makeup. I don't know what was going on with that Babylonian eye makeup. It must have been like some kind of viral TikTok trend of the time or something. But, and then he, he says something along the lines of like, gods, bring me Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here at once. And then, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made. Very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And I imagine his like facial expression at the time, you know, doing something like, then what God will save you from my hand? And I love this next part. I think this next part, the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond is one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. And look what it says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. And, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. And I love the versions that say, oh, king, just seems a little more dramatic, you know, <laughs> that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Wow, that's powerful right there. And you know the mental image that I get when I read this last section right now? Have any of you ever seen those short videos on the internet where someone gives the perfect response to a challenging question or scenario, and then all of a sudden these like pixelated sunglasses just fall from the sky and they land on the person's face? And you hear, banana is the one and only deal double G Snoop Dogg. And then all of a sudden, the screen kind of grays out, and there's a caption that says, thug life. That's exactly what I see right there. But I want to clarify something. I am not advocating for the concept of thug life in the traditional sense that promotes gang violence. Nope. I am advocating for it in the sense that I applaud the emotional intelligence being displayed by the person doing the responding. In other words... They are not phased by the challenge set before them. Now, I want to open up a little parentheses here and define emotional intelligence. And we're going to put it up here on the screen. And I defined emotional, and the, the definition that I found for emotional intelligence is the capacity to be aware of, control, and express one's emotions and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. So, brothers and sisters, I feel that the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded is one of the best emotional intelligence, one of the best displays of emotional intelligence I've seen. But then, I'm pretty sure you're going to find Nebuchadnezzar's response pretty interesting as well. So, let's keep reading. Verse 19, it says, The Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Gods, turn up the furnace seven times hotter! And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up, tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. So imagine they were wearing their Sunday best and just thrown up in the fire. Then the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I just imagine some like really swole-looking Arnold Schwarzenegger-looking type characters, you know, like with Babylonian eye makeup, just like, Ah, just melting. And these men fell, I'm sorry, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't the three men we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking in there in the fire, unbound and unharmed, 
and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. There's other versions that say the son of God. And I always wondered this, like, how did King Nebuchadnezzar recognize this fourth person? There must have been something of physical appearance that made him look different. Unless King Nebuchadnezzar had some kind of, like, ability of the supernatural or something where he recognized there was something different, something spiritual about this fourth person. But I always wondered that. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out! Come out here! So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Now, I'm especially impressed by that last part because I've actually experienced that. I remember on one occasion I went camping, and directly after the camping trip, I had to go meet up with some friends at church. And so I went directly from the campsite to the meeting. And as soon as I got there, my friend who wasn't on, didn't go on the trip, he said, wow, you guys smell like walking shish kebabs. And it's like, anytime you go camping, you know, if you had a bonfire, like everything you own smells like smoky, you know, smoky fire. <laughs> so, verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Man, and it's crazy to think. It's like, what was Nebuchadnezzar thinking? First, he wanted to throw people in the fire. Now he wants to mutilate them and burn the houses to rubble. Man, this guy was crazy. But in the next verse, in the same way that my dad promoted me to head Donut Hancho, look what verse 30 says. Then King Nebuchadnezzar promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. So, man, what a powerful story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And as you can clearly see, it's like, man, so much is going on. So it begs the question, like, what can we learn from the story? What lessons can we extract from this text? The first thing that comes to mind is that God is omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. He's almighty. El Todopoderoso es el Señor. And he's able to deliver us in the midst of our fiery trials And he's able to sustain us in the midst of those trials. But at the same time, there's another aspect of God to play here. And that is that God is sovereign, meaning he is in control of everything. And there are times when he delivers us from certain trials. And there are times when he doesn't. Because it isn't according to his will. And I believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew this. And that's why they responded with verse 18. And it says... But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, it also begs the question, like, what helped these young men the most in the midst of their fire trial? An eternal perspective. And I believe that when we have an eternal perspective in the midst of our trials, God can help us overcome. And I did a, so I did a thought experiment. And I, I really tried to think of an earthly scenario in which having an eternal perspective doesn't help. Can any of you think of an earthly scenario in which having an eternal perspective within this context doesn't help? And you know, Right? I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking about it. But you know, the Apostle Paul, I think, was onto something. And that's why I think he said what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. 
And it says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. What? Is Paul considering being stuck in a fiery furnace a light and momentary trouble? Man, that's crazy to me. But look what he keeps, look, look, look what he says. They are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. For we have fit, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. An eternal perspective. And like I said before, you know, the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is an amazing display of emotional intelligence. And I believe that what they were doing, they were actually foreshadowing the words of the person who would display the greatest emotional intelligence of all. The goat, Jesus. Jesus the Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. And look what he says in Matthew 10, 28. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, if I were to single out my favorite occurrence of when Jesus displayed emotional intelligence, it would probably have to be the story of the woman caught in adultery. And, you know, Jesus was at the temple courts, and then the Pharisees came in, you know, and they roll up in there looking like Jafar's cousin from Aladdin, you know, with their regal attire. And they said, hey, we caught this woman in the act, in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says that we need to stone her. Teacher, what should we do? And the Bible says that they said this to test him. And, you know, Jesus was kind of on the ground. He was doodling. You know, he was doing his thing. You know, he was probably writing like, you fools, or something, you know, and probably listing their names. And then he stands up and he says, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. Now, I'm pretty sure at that very moment, those pixelated sunglasses just dropped on Jesus' face. But, (laughs) so then... He goes back to the woman and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. It's like, well, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. But in light of everything that we've discussed, I want to kind of like cast a vision now and ask you this question. What would this world look like if we started to emulate Jesus next time that we were set to enter our proverbial fiery furnace? What would this world look like if we all went beyond simply overcoming negative peer pressure, but now flipping the script and applying positive peer pressure to others? What would this world look like if everyone in our circle of influence started applying positive peer pressure to us? What would we be capable of? I'll tell you what it looked like in my life. I struggled with lack of confidence, you know, believe it or not, I struggled with lack of confidence, self-esteem, and self-worth for most of my life. And that's because I believed the lie of the devil, that I wasn't worthy of the calling that God had bestowed upon me in my mother's womb. But it wasn't until God started strategically placing people in my life that I started overcoming that fear, that lack of confidence, that, that, that self-worth issue, and saying, you are worthy. You are my child. You have calling. You have a purpose. I've given you gifts. Bless people with that. And I'm thankful for people like Pastor Regal, you know. And I'm, I appreciate how he is secure enough in his own ministry where he allows other people within the congregation to have a voice to bless others and to glorify God's name. And I pray that God continues to bless and prosper his life, his ministry, and his family for that. And I've been so blessed by the mentoring sessions between Pastor Regal and I. They've been so fruitful. So thank you for that, Pastor Regal. (laughs) 
I'm also thankful for people like my sister Yesenia, who's actually here today. So praise God for that. And I remember in 2012, as clear as day, I felt the calling of God to go on a missions trip to Cuba. And the week before, I was a nervous wreck. I was like, Lord, I don't feel that I'm ready for this trip. How do I prepare for this trip? I was so anxious, I called her and shared my struggles. And she says, I want you to come to my house. I'm going to pray for you. So sure enough, she prayed for me. And then the words of encouragement that she gave have marked me to this day. And she said, God has prepared you for this trip every time you went to personal devotional time with him. So as far as I'm concerned, you are more than ready for this trip. And sure enough, God showed up and showed out on that trip. And what he did was amazing through the whole team. And that's a story for another day. But I'm also thankful for brothers like my brother Mondo. And many of you know him. And many of you know how intense he could be. <laughs> and I remember sitting at his dining room table one day, and he looked me straight in the eye. And he said, Rizzo, you have a gift. Use it. And you better not be like the wicked servant who buried his talent because of fear. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And lastly, I'm thankful for brothers like Lou Rock. <laughs> and I remember one day in conversations, I was sharing my struggles as well. And he said, Riz, the time is now. Rise up. And whether he knew this or not, whether he did this consciously, unconsciously, intentionally, or unintentionally, you know what he was doing? He was actually echoing the words in Ephesians 5, verse 14 through 17. And it says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because that these are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, the truth is that the Lord's will can be confusing sometimes. You know, sometimes it might seem foggy. It might seem like, like Lord, I need direction. So I kind of wanted to offer like a little bit of practical advice to help decipher Lord's will in your life. The first and obvious thing is that if something is a sin, we, it's obvious that the Lord's will is to abstain from it. But what about in areas where we could call like a gray area? You know, how do we decipher the Lord's will in that? Well, I want to use the topic, a hot button topic as an example. And I've, I've usually never been the type to shy away from controversial subjects because I believe that once you reach a certain level of maturity, you should be able to discuss these topics civilly and respectfully. And it actually helps you like, decipher how to handle this when you exercise thought in it and say, look at it critically. And that is the subject of vaccines. And we know that this is a hot button issue at the time. So, like, so the way I would handle this is like, is getting a vaccine a sin? I would say no, generally speaking, unless there's a specific ingredient that was put in there for malicious intent. <clears throat> and the reason I believe that it's not a sin is because I believe that God has given men and women the ability and gifted them with the ability to make advancements in medical science to the point where it saves lives. But now let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Do I believe that refusing to get a vaccine is a sin? I would also say no. And that's because I believe that God has gifted us with the ability to fortify our immune system through healthy diet, supplementation, exercise, and rest. So what am I saying here? I'm saying here that this is a matter of conscience. So in areas that are gray areas that deal and relate to matters of conscience, we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit enough where he provides wisdom, discernment, and guidance to make a decision that is best suited to our unique circumstance. But in this whole process, you know what's one of the most important decisions we need to make? To not pass judgment towards those who have opposing viewpoints. And that's how I believe 
that we can be a positive influence to everyone in our circle of influence and start applying positive peer pressure. Because once you raise up that judgmental attitude, it's like you're killing your chances of being a positive peer pressure, of applying positive peer pressure to those that you care about. Now, this is my main point, and there's nothing else that you remember today. I want you to remember this, that your friends will determine the quality and direction of your life. And that's what, that's what we see in the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'm sure that they were encouraging each other. It's like, hey, we belong to a superior kingdom, one that far outweighs any earthly kingdom. And there was something I forgot to mention in regards to the statue from earlier. That in the dream, there was a stone that fell from the sky, struck the statue, and obliterated it to pieces. And that stone represents the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, which is the kingdom that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were representing. So I ask you, what kingdom do you represent? So I want to close off with this final verse because I think it sums up perfectly what we've been discussing. And we find it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together. And you know, this verse right here, this section right here specifically is used many times to encourage people to attend church. But if you limit it to just that, you are doing scripture a disservice. Because the truth is that we can meet anywhere. We can meet at the gym. We can meet at the park. We can meet at the coffee house, at the coffee shop, at a restaurant, at someone's house, on the sidewalk, at your workplace, in the parking lot. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word and for the example that you've given us in your word. Help us to emulate, Lord, the, the attitude that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in the midst of that fiery furnace. I'm sure that it was uncomfortable. I'm sure that it was difficult. I'm sure that they wanted to give up. They were tempted to give up. But Lord, help us to remain faithful through our trials, through our tribulations. Help us to represent you well, Lord. Help us to not bow down to the kingdoms and the cultures of this earth. And Lord, reign in our hearts so we could have peace. And we know that you are our king. You will deliver us. You will save us. And eventually you will reign with us eternally, Lord, in your presence. I pray for the hearts here, Lord. May today's word minister to them deeply and help us to move forward, Lord, and reflect your love onto everyone. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord is good. Amen. Thank you for your obedience, Rizzo, and your boldness to share the word. Amen. Amen. And bless you. You know, he he opened up with his title and he says, is it hot in here or is it just me? And close to the ending, he, he made, he made uh, many points that hopefully you could go back and really take inventory and see where you're at. But I, I, I think about that title. Is it hot in here? Is it just me? And I feel like that title 
goes so in line in our lives. Specifically, obviously, we see it in the story in Daniel chapter 3. But specifically, when we enter trials in our lives. There, I, I am positive in this. There's not one person here that in your serving Christ, if you are serving Christ, and you hear even people that do not serve Christ say it, I'm sure that all of us have entered various trials, numerous trials. Show of hands, how many of you lost count of the trials in which you've entered? You can put your hands down. How many of you have walked out of those many, various, numerous trials? How many of you have also walked out of some of those? Amen. That's powerful. Some trials we're still dealing with. Some trials are still wrestling. Some trials are still fighting. I saw Ben today. And he walked in and I said, you're jacked. He had no idea what I meant when I said that. I just wanted to pump him up. He's like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm jacked. I go, no, you're jacked. He kept looking at him. So he probably like, this guy's crazy. He's lost his mind. No, I keep coming to this church. He's nuts. But I say, you're jacked. I go, I go, you haven't stopped fighting. He goes, you've taken blows and, we're, and you give blows. Here we are, man. We've taken blows, but we're still giving blows. And we're still in the ring. And you know what? We have breath in us. You know what that means? We're alive today. There's still a fight in us. We're jacked. You're jacked. You're jacked. I appreciate this word. Because like Rizzo, I could also share moments in my life where I say, I feel like I'm not jacked at all. I feel like the last thing I am is jacked. But the Lord says, no, no, you're jacked. And I think in these trials, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he defines what trial they're in, and it's a fiery furnace. And Rizzo said something. I want to repeat what he said. He says, what would it look like if we started to emulate Jesus next time we set to enter our fiery furnace, what would it look like if you emulate Jesus next time you get placed in your fire? Maybe you're in a fire right now. I'm going to ask a very daring question. Are you emulating Christ in that fire? In that fiery furnace is Christ there. In tomorrow's furnace, it was Christ be there. He says, be careful how you live. The new living says, don't live like fools. He's, but like those who are wise, make most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants to do. And I love that Rizzo went into Ephesians 5 and shared that scripture. Come on, what a beautiful place to be at in our lives. And I think a word for the church is that, hey, as it gets harder, as the furnace gets cranked up and they could crank it up to seven more times, let's smile at the one who's cranking it up from the pit of the furnace, from the valley and look up and say, I dare you to crank it one more. I dare you to crank it one more. Come on, one more. Five times, six. How about six, seven? And he cranks it the seventh time. And Rizzo read from the Daniel where it says they came out and their own clothes were not, was not scorched. They came out not on fire, but they came out to set a fire to that nation. That king bowed his knee to their God. That decree was changed to the decrees of God. So the fire that couldn't consume them was used in reverse and the fire of God consumed that king and that nation because these men decided to emulate their Lord in their furnace. Emulate your God in your furnace and fight back the fire and let the fire of God, let the will of God outweigh the fires of this world and the purposes of our enemy 
because I promise you that in Christ and in his will, it will prevail and Christ always wins. Come on, is it hot in here? Or is it me? No, it's hot in here. And if they want, make it hotter because guess what? I'm jacked. You're jacked. Amen? I appreciate that word and I pray that you really let that soak in. Go back and listen to it. Listen to those points. He's omnipotent. Lord, thank you for delivering, for sustaining me. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you, Lord God, for when I was in the furnace and I thought I was going to get scorched, at the right time, you began to dance with me. At the right time, you showed me that my clothes was not being burned. At the right time, while I was in furnaces in my life, you showed me that you were there with me and that you were keeping me and securing me and that I was going to make it out and that those furnaces were to catapult, to push me forward in the calling that you had for me, for those around me and for your glory. And I thank you for that, Lord God, that as it's hot, Lord, in our lives and as the church continues to move forward, that, Lord God, we would, we would stay still in those promises, Lord God, that we, would, that we would truly know that we would put the right people around us, Lord God, that we would be careful with the friends and the influences around us, Lord. And that, Lord, that we would, that we would be true and genuine going forward, that, that, Lord God, that we would understand that our purpose is in you, that, Lord God, that our power is in you, our vision is, your, is in you, and that we are able, Lord, we're able in all these things that may be presented to us, in all the fiery furnaces that might be presented to us, in this time, in this world, at this moment, that's church and the church globally, your bride, that we would emulate Jesus Christ to those that don't know you, that they would look at us and say, man, the Son of God is there with them. And let us display that from this day forward forevermore in Jesus' name. How many of you could say amen? Come on, give God some praise. Worthy, 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 worthy. God is good. God is good. Come on, all the time. Come on, let's give a hand.